0: At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Journey Beyond Divorce with Karen McMahon. I'm Steve Peck and here's Karen. Hi Steve, welcome back everyone. This is the third episode in our Divorcing a Narcissist series, which has been designed to support those of you who have been struggling in high conflict marriages. Our intention through this series is to educate you on the psychological aspects of narcissistic personality traits and the complex legal process Involved in obtaining a divorce from them. Today's topic is particularly important for those bravely choosing to leave your high conflict marriage. Entering the legal process of divorce with a pathological narcissist is uniquely difficult. There's the typical pain and uncertainty that all divorce produces, and then there's the added complexity of paralyzing fear, insecurity, and chaos for those who've been living in a dysfunctional relationship involving gaslighting and other um, verbal, emotional, or physical abuse. Because you're most likely to be divorcing inside the court system, it's crucial that you understand the legal landscape and court process that you set realistic expectations and that you know the variety of experts available to you. Today's episode, Divorcing a Narcissist, Essential Legal Guidelines for Navigating a High Conflict Divorce is designed to equip you uh, with a basic understanding of the legal process and players, realistic expectations around finances and custody, and helpful tips for communicating with your spouse and parenting together through and beyond the divorce transition. I'm excited to introduce today's guest expert, Randy Carmel. Randy has been a New York City litigator for over 25 years and she defies the negative stereotype of an uncaring attorney. Randy's keen understanding of the court system, her strategic expertise and fiery ability to fight for her clients has led her to represent many clients with high conflict spouses. Randy has been acknowledged as a New York super lawyer for the past six years and is cert- a certified guardian ad litem, that's an attorney for the children, is often appointed by the court to represent children and is recognized for her expertise with domestic violence and special needs children. Welcome, Randy.
1: Thank you, and thank you for that introduction. Very kind.
0: Brandy, we have so much to cover today, and I'm really excited to have you to share your expertise with our uh, listeners. So let's dive in. Is litigation, the first question I have is, is litigation, right, working within the court system, a, a more effective approach approach for high-conflict divorces?
1: My first A knee jerk reaction, if you will, to that is the last thing you want is to go to court if you could help it. However, you may not have a choice. So, when you go to court, third parties are now involved in your marriage and in your divorce. And that could be very problematic or it could be extraordinarily beneficial because all of a sudden you're not navigating as much of the day-to-day activities as maybe you're a lawyer or other people. So my it, it, sometimes you are, I, I'd say, but forced, you have no choice but to go to court. And that may be at times where you have to go. It's not always the best place to be though.
0: Right, and I guess that's why I asked the question. I'm wondering if you could share Uh, based on your experience, either when there is the exception that you don't have to be in court or why so often high conflict divorces end up in the court system and in litigation?
1: I think the best place to start is with the second part of your question. People wind up in a high conflict divorce in court because There's usually one, sometimes both parties who there's just no progress will ever be made because they're thinking of things other than uh, the best interest of the children or spending five, you know, five hundred thousand dollars to get something that's worth five thousand dollars. They're not seeing the forest from the trees or their personality in and of itself is something that is, is, is not conducive to settling or it's not conducive to not fighting and not wanting to hurt and not wanting to go for the jugular. So when you're dealing with that kind of mentality and that person hires a lawyer that cannot see through that or control it, for lack of a better word, you have no choice but to wind up in court because nothing that the other spouse is going to do is going to be good enough. Nothing is going to be enough because that person is looking for a fight or that person is looking for something so outside the realm of what is in the best interest perhaps of the children or in the case. Um, there are many people who say I'd rather give the money to my lawyer than give it to my spouse. Um, right. You know, that's a horrible thing to say. I always I've, I've been the recipient of, of that when I'm that lawyer. And I say, but five years from now, you'll regret it when I'm living in a bigger house than you. Uh, You know, you have to try to, um, you know, you could win the battle, but you really want to win the war, for lack of a better phrase. And you want to show your client that that kind of attitude or that kind of feeling is more destructive for the future. Even if they like the fight now, ultimately, it's not going to wind up to be something that is going to benefit the family? Certainly not. And the pocketbook? Certainly not.
0: Right. You know, I I want to take a minute here and speak directly to the listeners because oftentimes with the clients I work with, it's the high conflict um, personality that is strongly recommending mediation or collaboration and they're they're very clear on you know what they're going to win and what they're going to get and what the other person isn't going to get and and so if if you're listening uh to the description randy just gave i think it's really important to be very realistic with how you and your spouse have engaged up until this point and the viability of being transparent and collaborative and flexible and compromising. Um, And, and if that possibility exists, truly exists, not just your heart's desire, but that you've, you've experienced it with your spouse. I'm hearing Randy say um, court may not be necessary. However, if, Your entire experience is that uh, he or she wins, you lose, lack of flexibility, lack of transparency, um, all about the fight. Uh, I'm hearing that uh, there may be benefits in court that really uh, align for you. Does that make sense, Randy, what I'm saying?
1: That is 100 percent accurate. Um, there are times, and again, I say that you have no choice. I do look at things, most people when they go to court, when they're the ones that affirmatively say, I want to file for, you know, for a conference in court, or I want the judge to decide a motion, which is where you're specifically asking the judge for things more immediate than at the very end of the case. Everybody thinks that they're correct. I always say when you're the one that walks into court first, it's like buying a lotto ticket. Most people say, hey, you never know, or I think I'm going to win. Most people don't say this is money that I'm throwing out. So that's how people, I think, look at going to court, that they're correct. And if you're dealing with a narcissist or you're dealing with somebody who can't see the forest from the trees or past his or her own, uh, you know, whatever's in his or her head, then that person is going to run to court and want to be in court. And again, that's another reason why sometimes you, on the other end, have no choice. But if you're always, for lack of a better word, the victim, let's say, or the person who is being you know, uh, discarded um, or being uh, trapped so that the kids all of a sudden are being taken out of the house every day, um, which was never done before and you're being shoved out of the way when it comes time to make breakfast and lunch and, and dinner and, and tucking the children into bed, you may not have that choice. You may be the one that walks into court because now what you're dealing with is unacceptable. It's only going to get worse. It's a, a, a little pebble that starts to roll and then it becomes a big rock and then a big, you know, even bigger one. And you are the one that says, I have no choice because this is not going to, unless a third party like a judge or a forensic evaluator, you know, starts to analyze what my life is like now, I do have to go to court because this is an impossible situation. So so let's take
0: a look uh, at the benefits of of litigation and and I think it's important and you could elaborate on this, I think it's important that our listeners understand that litigation doesn't mean going to trial. Litigation means going through the divorce process through the court system. And can you speak to some of the, especially for high conflict, some of the key benefits to being in the court system versus being outside of it?
1: Yes, and I want to stress exactly what you said. This is not TV, and people think that going to court uh, does mean, I've had many consultations when people said, okay, so we're going to trial, and that is not the case. Very few cases go to trial. Um, Going to court can sometimes be positive when you want things that only a court can give you, such as a decision when when both parties can't agree. Imagine that all your support was cut off, your credit cards were canceled, and all of a sudden, you can't find where the car is parked. And now your spouse, who never had anything to do with the children, is picking them up from school every day, and you don't—you you have no recourse. You're going to want to go to court to say, this is unacceptable. Judge, I need a support order. I need to know where my children are. I need to have... Uh, access to the car, that then court would absolutely benefit you. Another way that court can benefit is anybody is if you really you're dealing with somebody, let's say with a mental illness, a mental disorder, or a narcissist, or somebody who has some issues that put the children last or you last, um, and somebody who you can't really reason with, if in fact there are children a forensic evaluator could be assigned or appointed by the court and then there would be a report issued after that forensic evaluator speaks to the parties speaks to collateral sources so those are third parties sometimes it's doctors sometimes it's teachers sometimes it's uh, other kinds of therapists uh, parents grandparents um, aunts uncles friends and then a report is generated and sometimes this report settles a case. I would say that most times the report settles the case because the report usually, if you have a good forensic evaluator, usually gets to the heart of the psychological problems and who has strengths in certain areas and who has weaknesses. Uh, In certain areas so that there are people who want forensics and know that the only way they're going to get it, um, rather than having the parties agree to do it outside of court, which is extraordinarily rare, is for a judge to appoint. And then there's an order that everybody has to cooperate. So those are all very beneficial reasons why people go to court
0: that's great and I know we have a number of other experts that that I'm gonna ask you about as well so there are there are additional experts that um, can support you in the court system there's the judge you know uh, making an order that that allows you um, reasonable flexibility whether it's financial or custody the other thing that um, that uh, you know when I was going through my divorce I um, my attorney said uh, the divorce is only going to move as quickly as the slowest moving person. And um, and one of the things I noticed was because you're in the system, there's uh, this—they're almost like a traffic cop, right? Like they move things along. Is that true? Whereas that might not happen as much outside. Uh, that tourism. is one. What-
1: that is 100% true and the judges nowadays are under mandates to move things along doesn't mean that they're not going to give you a fair shake or get outside of those guidelines if necessary because they do but yes you're on the judge's calendar not your own and you know one of the things i also wanted to mention is sometimes when there's children involved and an attorney for the child or children is appointed that person is a voice for you, could be a voice for your child. And that is also something that some people absolutely want, which you would never really get outside of court. Um, but going back to what you have just said, yes, you are no longer on your own schedule. You have to abide by the court's schedule. And if you ask for too long of an adjournment, or you're not ready, or you're not prepared, you know that's not gonna bode well by a court, and you may have to still appear and, and be ordered to.
0: And so uh, when you first go in, right, you, there are certain, uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but maybe just a, a brief landscape, like there's certain steps, there's something that someone has to do with their finances, and then the the court knows whether or not everyone's uh, provided the right documentation. Can you just speak to those earlier stages, just in terms of that trafficking things and moving them forward?
1: Sure. Well, the first thing is sometimes we ask outside of court for a sworn statement of net worth. And there are people who turn it over. And then there are other people who will delay and delay and delay. And therefore you file for a conference because you, and it's called a preliminary conference. And you file for that because 10 days prior to the date of the conference, you have to submit your statement of net worth. So when somebody doesn't cooperate that's a reason to go to court and get what you want. So your first step is usually to um, exchange sworn statements of net worth. And then you set a discovery schedule for when you are going to turn over bank statements and credit card statements and proof of any separate property credits. Um, and all the discovery that, that is required You could also, at that preliminary conference, if there's real estate, the court could appoint an appraiser. The court could appoint a valuator to value a business. So the discovery process really begins um, at that very first stage. If you have an emergency, such as you're not being supported, or even the other side, your spouse is spending too much, um and you want to stop it or custody or decision making um all of these are parental you know time with the child or children if these are issues then that could be addressed at that very first court appearance and it can also be done by a motion where you're asking the judge to actually make a decision te- a temporary decision as to parental access as to decision making, such as if a child needs therapy and the other parent says, absolutely not, I don't believe in it. And, and, and that's a conflict. So you want to actually say, judge, we need somebody to make that decision now because we can't. Then right. you would do a motion and that would, you know, kick in also at that step.
0: So, so I'm just really hearing the benefits. It's like if you've got someone whose heels are dug in, who's entrenched, who's inflexible, the court um, really has that power to move things along. And so just if you're listening in, that's a key thing that I wanted you to hear and understand. The other thing before I go into my next question is, throughout this episode, you're gonna hear a lot about what happens in court uh, If you haven't tuned into our previous series, Navigating Your Divorce, there are shows on the finances and the five essentials to prepare, and there are shows on all the different legal approaches, so you can tune in and listen in more detail to virtually every topic we're talking about about divorce in general and then in terms of what you just said randy about the forensic evaluator we're going to have an expert custody evaluator on um, uh, in a couple of episodes down the road and it'll be all about that and and what that person does and um, and how to prepare and if it's right for you so so we're doing more of a A general look today but trust me that we're going to give you all of the details you need in all of these different areas so so let's say someone's decided okay I I really should litigate I should go to court can you just give a couple of suggestions of what now now this is a person who's been in a high conflict divorce they may have felt bullied gaslighted manipulated they may feel less secure and, and confident than the average person. What are a couple of things they're looking for in their litigating divorce attorney?
1: Well, I think that the first thing you want to assess is whether that attorney is listening to you. Because you do not want somebody who has a cookie cutter approach You don't want somebody who the first thing that comes out of his or her mouth is, and these are the steps and this is what you have to do when when you haven't really told your entire story of your life yet or of your marriage. So you would want somebody who you know is going to listen to you. You would want somebody who doesn't necessarily have a cookie cutter approach, although many facts do go from one case to another Every individual is an individual and every marriage is, is different. So you would definitely want to have somebody who can have a strategy and that strategy you also would like, you should look for somebody who has some flexibility. So I would always ask the question, okay, let's say we go this way and we do X. What happens if all of a sudden my spouse says, you know what? I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to settle. I, would, would strategy change? Um, you want somebody who is flexible enough to be able to change strategy if necessary and not, again, have a cookie-cutter approach. Um, there are lawyers who have the same approach with every single case. Um, that is not what you want, but you want somebody who can litigate in case if it ever gets there. It also helps with settlement when you're spouse knows well you know what he or she hired a litigator so you know we're we're looking at somebody who when they say this may in fact go to trial that actually may happen it's not an empty threat Um, so you would want somebody with that kind of experience and you would want somebody who could you know forge a path for you to not experience as much of the drama or the high conflict behavior that you have experienced during the course of the marriage. Um, I think we may get into this a little later, I'm not quite sure, but you want to sort of disarm that person. You want to say, now I have a mouthpiece, I don't have to listen to you anymore. I don't have to Mm -hmm. accept 30 texts in a minute. I don't have to do this because now I've sort of surrendered a part of that to somebody else, you know that you cannot abuse, right? So the, the I love the fact that you made
0: listening the first thing. Like after years exactly. of being or decades of being in a marriage where you probably weren't feeling heard, um, knowing that you're working with someone who listens and you feel heard, and and also I would say who who takes the time to explain things to you so that you really understand them. You know, Randy, one of the things I've noticed with too many of my clients who come from high conflict marriages is they go out and they hire a bully attorney and they end up getting bullied by their bully attorney and by their spouse um, because they want an attorney who can go toe to toe with their spouse. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering if you have any, any thoughts or... Comments
1: on I, I'm smiling because there's an expression that you hire a lawyer like yourself. Um, but in your, it, what you're saying is somebody is hiring a person almost like their spouse to some extent. Exactly. And, and that is the very, that's a nuance um, in the general rule of you hire somebody like yourself. Um, and it does happen. So again, it's not when you're dealing with lawyers you, you have to try to figure out what you want your litigation to be and what you want from your lawyer. We all know the lawyer wants somebody who is listening to them, somebody who cooperates with them, somebody who answers their calls. That, well, That's vice versa. Obviously, we all want that. that. That's what you want. But there are some litigants or some clients who may want something more from their lawyer and then you have to think does that really benefit you so yes many times there are people who hire bullies um and the lawyers that they know are going to fight for them in a, a way that their spouse is used to so in there's two points that I'd like to raise one is when that actually works there are times where that works because somebody's giving it back the way their client is getting i it. Uh, it, it's 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 It does work at times, but when that's not a strategy and that's merely the personality of the lawyer, then exactly what you said, Karen, exactly what you said happens. And it's so hard to figure out whether it's the strategy or that's the lawyer's personality, which I go back to that initial consultation where you have to talk about not having a cookie cutter approach.
0: And you need to you need to go in with a list of questions and our other series that talked about, you know, litigation, collaboration, the whole bit. Every one of those attorneys made recommendations for things to look for. So I, I, I just encourage you to put a list together of what you're looking for of the questions you have before you sit down with the attorney. And what I like to say is this is one of your first relationships as you've decided to dissolve your marriage. So you want to make it, make the decision very consciously, and you can have an attorney like like Randy. Randy's a, a killer litigator, but she's a soft-hearted individual who can listen. And so it's not an either or. And you really you need someone who's they're going to be your partner for months, if not years. You want to make sure that that relationship is. Going to unfold in a healthier way than your marriage did. So that that's my two cents on that. Um, let's talk a little bit. That we have so much to cover here. Um, one of the things you started talking about a little bit is communication, and so you had mentioned texts and phone calls and emails. I know that many of my clients, divorcing high conflict personalities, are are slayed with with. Emails, multi-page emails, emails multiple times a day, texts multiple times a day filled with, you know, the typical blame and accusation and all of that. And so what's the rule of thumb for our listeners in terms of let's just stick with communication right now. What's the rule of thumb?
1: In terms of how people communicate in this How how.
0: Yeah, yeah, how you would recommend your clients communicate.
1: Oh, that's a very different question. I've been doing this for years. I don't believe that people should be subjected to what I call being the nail with somebody else being the hammer and constantly banging them down. And that's what emails and text messages can do at any given point during the day because we put them in, we put our emails into our phones, we put them into our iPads that they automatically you know, get downloaded, and people hear that ping or that buzz, and all of a sudden they know that that may be 15 mm. emails in a 20-second period of time, and it's going to be accusatory. So I have been telling clients, good or bad, that when it gets that bad, when it's something that is now affecting my client's ability to concentrate and my client's heart skips that beat and gets nervous and can't function at times. I definitely, and I've worked as, as you know, with, you know, divorce coaches who help that client get through it on a more of an emotional level and how to deal with it. I've also had people, I've advised people that they need to tell their spouse that they're going to respond in one large email at the end of the week because it's that back and forth that that person likes. So I try to cut that out because, Mm -hmm. as I say, we don't reward bad behavior. And I also have told clients that when they get the tirade email, which is a three page single space email that took hours to to, to draft, so the person who at 7 a.m. wakes up to this kind of email, I sometimes tell my clients, do a search for children, the children's names, the words kids, doctors, emergency school, do all of those things, and at the very end, rather than to answer every single allocation, one line, I hereby deny each and every one of your allegations. And again, bad behavior doesn't get rewarded. So I try not to have my client reward that kind of of you know accusatory email, but I also don't yep. want my client to miss something that's important about a doctor's appointment or, or or something else. So I definitely do try to control it, and I also work with professionals and like Karen, like you, who uh, work with the client on how to handle those types of emails and sometimes how to even respond in a productive way rather than in a, I'm cutting you off type of scenario.
0: And we'll be back with more journey beyond divorce after this. We're there right when you need us the most, and we make sure you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you between calls to be more effective. I was very
1: fortunate to find Journey Beyond Divorce. I would go searching for any piece of information that could either A, give me more knowledge about the divorce process itself, or B, could talk me down emotionally. And I found that Journey Beyond Divorce was really instrumental in providing both things, one, the guidance of the divorce process itself, as well as talking about self-maintenance and what the, the individual need to do to kind of cope with it.
0: Let us help you gain a broader perspective and determine your best next steps with our free Rapid Relief Lifeline call. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call. Yeah, so, you know, communication is so important. And um, I know when, when I was getting divorced, my my ex's attorney would constantly pull me and go, please, please. Please stop sending her emails <laughs> like you're like, like you're putting all of this in writing. Stop doing it. Um and from my perspective, it was exactly what you just described. And so if if you're in that situation, if you're listening and you're in that situation, for me the word boundaries comes up. It, it's it's just another it's it's another avenue of 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 the same behavior. And so for you Um, of course, there's the fear that you don't want to miss anything. And yet, if you have to read through abuse to get to um, the message, coming up with a strategy that works for you that minimizes your exposure while making sure that you're communicating the important things is vital. And so, and, and Randy and I have talked about this before, there's there's so many different ways. You can have it go directly into a, a, a folder that you look at at the end of every day or once a week. There's so many different strategies. If, if communication is already overwhelming you, that's something that you want to speak to your attorney, your therapist, your divorce coach about and come up with some strategies for boundaries around it. What other, on communication, uh, aside from that, um, do's and don'ts, are there any key things that, that come to mind for you that, um, that couples communicate around?
1: Yeah, I mean, I see this all the time. People use phrases that are buzzwords, which you wouldn't normally use in a sentence, such as, in an effort to co-parent, I would like to tell you the following... Just tell the person something. You don't need to preface it. That's like a lawyer saying, well, ethically speaking, I'd like to give you your bill on the day that it was due. There's no need to actually say that. So don't, you don't have to project to anybody what you've done that's good or what you are trying to accomplish. Just get it done, just do it. Um, because those are triggers for people. Words like that are triggers for people, and and I always go back to I, I do a lot of settlements, and and you know I've sat in, in offices till three in the morning, three thirty in the morning, settling cases. You get to see a lot of, of of behavior, and a lot of what I see is somebody who can't let go of the past. Mm. So it's the parent maybe who's actually saying, well you know yes i would agree that we should use this pediatrician and as you know for the last 3 years i'm the one who's always made the appointments mm-hmm. and i'm the one there's no need for that so i tell my clients not to do that because those are triggers for the other side and mm-hmm. you're just you know you you you're just making that happen so yeah. with communication I definitely believe that you should not use certain buzzwords. You should try very hard not to uh, be accusatory. You should try not to look in the past too much. And the best thing you could do is write like you normally write, not like you're gaslighting somebody, not like, you know, and I always try to give an example. It's the person who texted my client. You are late picking up our son. And my client was standing right there, not late, at Mm -hmm. a police precinct. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, so my client, what did my client have to do? Take a picture of the time at the precinct to show he was not late. But these are things that people do in high conflict divorces. Because everything they do becomes a matter of, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show somebody so I try to have my clients not engage in that. Get the proof that you know he or she needs, and then we'll deal with it with with the lawyers. I try to take it out of my clients' hands as much as I can.
0: Yeah, that's great. And there's um there's a fellow named Bill Eddy, and he coined um, the term BIF, Biff B I F F to use the BIF approach whenever engaging in high conflict communication. And BIF stands for brief, informative, firm, and friendly. Uh, I know someone who switched friendly to neutral. Uh, The point being, rather than writing a dissertation back or or pouring fuel on the fire in all the ways Randy just suggested, uh, the shorter, the better, it just needs to be brief, it just needs to speak to the specifics of that topic, uh, that need, firm, just just maybe I think, I was thinking maybe we should know, this is what I want, or this is what I'm doing, and uh, and then friendly, just just not nasty, uh, and so I love that. I love that I share it with my clients all the time. That's great. Ra- Randy there's two key areas that I want to ask about um, before um, we talk about some of the other supporting experts and our time is flying by here so clearly divorce is all about the money and the children and so with high conflict divorce I know there can be situations where there's really not a lot of money to fight over, but it could go on and on and on because of custody. So let's look at custody first. Um, You know, we have shared parenting time and we have decision-making. Uh you talked earlier about everyone walks in thinking they're going to win. I'm, I've been the primary parent, therefore I'm going to walk away with everything. I just had that conversation with someone the other day, and I was like, no, it doesn't work that way. So can you just speak to our listeners a little bit about realistic expectations around shared parenting time and um, and decision-making in a high-conflict situation?
1: Yes, and this brings me to where I always talk at a consultation about um, the realistic uh, points of view and the realistic expectations that people have going into court or in any litigation. Things are not as they used to be. I cannot stress that enough. Right now, we are in a trend Where you can walk into court and your spouse or the parent, because it doesn't necessarily have to be a spouse, the other parent can get 50% of the time, even though that has never been the case at all. And now you see a situation where, let's say the other spouse did not give up a career, did not give up a job, and you are the one who did, and you are the primary caretaker. And all of a sudden, you have an attorney for your child who's advocating for 50-50. You have a judge who says, well, I don't see why not. And you are now at a situation where the, the other parent still has his or her career, everything that they built, plus the same amount of time with your child. And how is that fair? That happens often now. So the realistic part of court is that you have no idea a judge's predisposition. You have no idea if there is a predisposition or if this is a trend. You have no idea how this third party is going to view your actions. If you're going to be seen as somebody who's alienating because you're saying, no, I don't want that two day a week overnight in the middle of a school week. And rather than you being the parent who's really thinking of your child and best interests, you're being perceived as being an alienator because that is what's happening in, in some courts, even though that may not be who that person actually is. Um, people are asking for 50-50 for different reasons, You know, support, um, strategy. Sometimes it's true desire, though, so I, I, I can't discount that. And imagine being... Introduced to somebody who has just been appointed to represent your child or your children and that person sits down with your kids you don't know what has been said and all of a sudden because it's confidential it's privileged unless that lawyer has authority by your child who has an attorney client relationship with that lawyer and you're standing in court and you think that yes my kid definitely wants to be with me more. And all of a sudden, a stranger who's now assigned to your case representing your child or children says, oh, no, I'm advocating for 50-50, or I'm advocating for the other parent to have more time. And now you have that level, and you don't know what to do. Um, Mm -hmm. I just briefly want to talk about, you had mentioned guardian ad litem, there's a difference between a guardian ad litem and a an attorney for a child. An attorney for a child can do one of two things, can advocate straight advocacy, that's exactly what the child wants, whether or not it's in his or her best interests. I want to live with mom, I want to live with mom. Okay, kid's 13 years old, that's what I'm advocating because I, that's what I, my the role is. Unless it rises to the level of what could be substantial risk of harm, And then that lawyer can do something that's called best interests and say, my client wants to live with her mother, but I'm advocating something different. And Mm -hmm. that's that. But what power does that lawyer have? Can you imagine to actually do such a thing? So when you do go to court, you are giving up control of a lot having to do with your, you know, or the children, as far as decision-making joint legal custody, joint decision-making is very difficult when you're dealing with a narcissist or somebody who can't collaborate. There are ways to handle it. Somebody can have, con- you could have consultation via email. If you don't agree, you can go to a teacher for a recommendation for educational decisions. You could go to a pediatrician for medical decisions you could go to a parent coordinator, you can go to mediation, you could do many things. Somebody can have the power to have the final say um, rather than a joint situation, which doesn't always work. Or in ca- rare cases, somebody could just be the sole decision maker. But that's that's rare as well. So that that's really what the issues are when you get to court on, a, on a custody and parental yeah, access. And-
0: And I think that's great that you outline that because uh, a lot of times just at that whole level of gray, it's like um, how much time and the decision-making and that there's actually a lot of variations that different people settle on. Um, And and to your point, when you're in court and there's an attorney for the children, uh, no matter what you want, you may not have nearly as much uh, control in in the final decision and and I think it's so important that you that our listeners understand that there's no justice in divorce court and divorce court is often 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 not fair and wrapping your head around those two things and being able to trust your attorney's guidance and advice will. Um, will limit your suffering. That's that's what I wanna say. Like that's a lot of what we talk to our clients about is you have a good attorney, your attorneys, you know, you trust your attorney, trust them and know that what they're advising you is based on a lot of experience and and fair and justice just often, unfortunately, come into play.
1: I actually, if I could just comment, I, I love that you actually said, trust your lawyer. It's hard sometimes to trust when you've been in a bad situation. And it's hard sometimes to understand that what that lawyer's motivation is. If you have hired a lawyer and for whatever reason you're doubting the strategy or how that lawyer is, is acting, that lawyer works for you. <laughs> and that you cannot lose sight of. And you should say something to that lawyer as much as I like to think that I'm close with all my clients, I have had those situ- those, those uh, conversations with clients. And it's always good when somebody can say, look, I, I, why did you do X? Or oh, I thought we spoke about it, but did it come out that way? Well, you are a team. And if you feel that you are not a team in any way, shape or form, if you need to actually, it may be in your head, it may not be, it may be the reality, it may be a misinterpretation, but you should talk to that attorney. Most of the time, it only brings you closer. And most of the time, it makes that lawyer understand how you're perceiving his or her actions. And that will help you to navigate what you need to do when you're speaking with the lawyer and the communication that you have and the access that you have. And I'm just going to to say what I have, in one of my cases from a long time ago, my client could not handle emails during the day even from a lawyer because it was so high conflict. I devised a little plan because there were times I couldn't wait till after hours that not a plan but in the subject line exactly what the issue was, whether I just needed to talk, whether there was an email. And that got my client through the day when I was actually emailing. We got along beautifully, but it was just the mere name of 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 the lawyer knowing what could, what could have happened. Mm-hmm. Was there a cor- call from the court? Did I get a letter that's going to disrupt my client's life? So I had to almost say, not an issue, call me when you can. Not a problem. We just got discovery. And I had to do that for many, many months before my client was able to accept even emails from me. So that's why, had I not known that, every email from me would have caused my client unnecessary aggravation. Because most of them were not problematic at all. So that's why the relationship is important.
0: And I I think it's so important what you're talking about you, you, the person who hire the attorney, you're the boss, you're paying the bill. Um, and you probably aren't so comfortable speaking your mind or doing something that you feel is critical because of this dysfunctional marriage that you're coming out of. and And all of those uncomfortable things to do are actually baby steps and personal growth as well as is going to benefit your relationship with your attorney. So I just want to second everything that Randy said. Randy, before we wrap up, um, we've, we've talked about some of the experts. You mentioned the forensic or custody evaluator. We've talked about the attorney for the children, um, I want to talk about finances for a second because that's obviously so big and can be so overwhelming. Um, what do you, what are your tips on uh, negotiating the finances? Right, we have we have we have child support, we have spousal support, and we have asset distribution. So we can really only touch on the surface of this, but again, given the high conflict personality they're dealing with, um, what are a couple of the key points that you want to make to our listeners on the finances?
1: It's very important. You can't lose sight of the fact that you need to be able to live and survive past the end of your litigation. So long term is the way you have to think. And your lawyer has to think long-term. That is not always possible when there's limited resources. It's always more expensive to live in two homes than one or two households than one. The money is not going to be there as often. So I do talk to my clients about let's have a plan as to what are we trying to discover? Are we going to try to find every single dime that your spouse spent? every single time in the world, or are we going to be a little bit more realistic and say, you know what, let's not throw that kind of money out there. Let's do something different, right? Let's just say step-by-step, this is what we need now. If we discover something, maybe we'll go to the next step. So I definitely have a plan with my clients as to how much digging we need to do, um, and don't forget you know more than your lawyer does so you know if there's hidden assets sometimes or cash you know or a business uh, and and that's something that you need to disclose i also try to figure out and i have worked with on some cases certified divorce planners who will let somebody know you know you're gonna your money's gonna run out most matrimonial lawyers are not certified financial planners at all So we get you what we think is fair under the domestic relations law or the family court act that does not always account for the rest of your life. And it often doesn't. So working with some professionals and I don't always, there are times that we don't, but sometimes you need somebody to put together a plan to say, this money is going to run out. Maybe we can take more here or take less here and try to be creative. So again, uh, you know, there are cases sometimes where somebody says, I wanna stay in the marital home. And you say, well, how has this been paid? Well, I, I work, my spouse works, but I also get money from annuities or distributions. And that's great. Now that you're buying your spouse out of the house and you're using half of that money or a portion of that money, you're no longer gonna get as much in dividends. How do we plan for that? So mm. you ha- that's the kind of experts that we need to talk to and to figure out um, how to maintain, as best as you can, a lifestyle and what assets you're willing to give up. Um, a perfect example is the person who a mortgage is paid. They're in a beautiful Manhattan apartment. The mortgage is all paid off. The only expenses are the carrying costs. But that person would have to give up a good portion of maybe retirement or some other assets to be able to buy out the other side. And is it worth all of that for the apartment? And some people say yes, because I could never live in a three bedroom for this kind of money again. So that's Mm. a consideration. Some people say, you know what? I'm worried about my retirement. So it depends on what you really worry about and what you think, because you can't predict everything in life, what you think you may need in the future to be able to have as best of a lifestyle as you can under the circumstances.
0: Yeah, great advice. And our next show is actually with a a divorce financial planner. So, so tune in because that would be all about how to actually two shows down the road, how to protect your finances. And, and I just want to speak to that, especially if you've been, um, uh, uh, if you've been a little cloistered from, from the whole financial picture of your marriage and you don't, you don't know a lot about the bills that are being paid or the assets that are available, it, it can be a very scary. And especially if you have a spouse who's basically telling you that you're not going to get anything and it's all his or her money. Uh, having a support team uh, is, is so vital. And that divorce financial planner is probably the one person I tell every client, regardless of how much money they have is to sit down and speak to somebody who does money for a living because it's going to be so incredibly valuable for you in understanding your financial picture and having someone who's just really schooled in finances to help you look at the numbers and to even speak uh, to your attorney with you or for you. So so that's a key person. I think that that's like an essential person to have on your team.
1: If I may, I just wanted to to add something. Order for me and my staff to really get a feel of what clients go through. We've actually uh, my associate, one of my associates, and I. We actually filled out statements of net worth. We actually did what we ask our clients to do, um, because it's very daunting, and no matter what you think you know and you think you don't know, it's it really is daunting for everybody. And we actually went through the process, and I actually spoke to a financial person and said, I really want to know what I spend on X. Give me that graph. Give me that pie chart. I want to know where I spend on Y and on Z, because you think that people are judging you, and and they're not, okay, because we see everything. But you have to also understand that, yes, you may spend a lot of money on one thing and nothing else. The lawyers aren't judging you. They're trying to help you. But I actually decided to do it myself in order to know what it felt like when somebody else approached me and said, well, this is what you spend on X and this is what you spend on Y. Um, so yeah. remember, we're not judging you. We're trying to get you what you need. And you shouldn't be afraid of the process.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Great advice. So so as we, as we begin to wrap up, there's... Um, we've really just scratched the surface of so much of this, which is why the rest of the year is just this series of speaking to uh, all of the different experts that Randy mentioned. Um, We didn't talk about uh, forensic accounting, which is if your situation is that much more complex or there are businesses or hidden money, but we're going to have a forensic accountant who comes on and talks about when that would be necessary. We're gonna have the, the the financial planner so that you understand the finances and how to protect them, especially if you're in this high conflict situation. Um Randy, you mentioned the attorney for the children. Uh, of course, you know, me and my team, we're divorce coaches. We we're constantly supporting people going through this to uh, to help you get just calm and clear and to be really effective and strategic and a better partner with your attorney so that um, so that you can really work toward the best possible settlement. Uh, Is there, is there any um, last tips or advice that you want to leave our listeners with, Randy?
1: You know, I, I do think that we covered quite a bit and I know it does seem very daunting and there's so much, But the one thing I would say is anything, most I call them living room litigators. Some people come in and they think that they know everything about the process. And some do, and some do not. Please, I I always beg my clients, I could not care less what you're asking me. Just ask me the question. I need you to understand. I need you to understand what's happening in court so your head is not spinning. And I go back to, there was a very old movie uh, with Barbra Streisand, and it was called Nuts. And I think it was Richard Dreyfuss was in it. And they were all talking around her. And they were using terms like, well, give her a 7.30 exam. That's a mental health exam. Give her this. And she did not know what was happening around her. That movie is so old, but it always stuck with me that that's not the kind of lawyer I want. That's not the kind of lawyer I want to be. That's not the kind of relationship. Lawyers have a tendency and judges have a tendency to speak the language, but you are paying to understand it. So my last, um, I guess my last comment is don't assume that we think, you know, everything, or we think, you know, nothing It doesn't matter if you have any questions, you don't wanna be that person standing in a courtroom with your head spinning and not understanding what is happening on something that's going to affect your life. So no judge cares if you have questions, no judge cares if you wanna take a break to ask your lawyer a question, no lawyer cares, no attorney for children care, no forensic cares, we actually welcome it and we like it because it makes our job easier. So that's my last comment. You are more in control than you think you are. All you have to do is have a good relationship with your lawyer, know what's going on and every step of the way be involved with what is happening on your case.
0: Perfect, thank you so much. Randy, how can our listeners um, reach out and find you if they want to uh, connect?
1: I'm happy to give you my, uh, my website is www.randycarmel.com. So that's R-A-N-D-I-K-A-R-M-E-L.com. My email address is randy, R-A-N-D-I, at randycarmel.com. Same spelling, no, uh, no spaces. And my office phone number is 212-755-0224.
0: Perfect. Uh, This has been so filled and um, helpful. And I just, I really just thank you for a wonderful, um, wonderful episode with us today.
1: Well, it is my pleasure and any help that I can uh, offer. It is, again, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so to our listeners if you've been tuning into our podcast please take a few minutes and review uh, our journey beyond divorce podcast on itunes it's a great way to pay it forward so that someone who's out there searching for good information will find us and also um make sure to subscribe we've got a lot of shows coming up and uh will be live every two weeks. So we've got 24 episodes in total. So make sure to subscribe and you'll be notified as each one goes live. Our next episode is uh, all about uh, how to protect the kids in a high conflict divorce. And then following that will be how to protect your finances. So tune into those. Uh, Me and my team of coaches, we're just... We're so committed to supporting you through this difficult and tumultuous time. You can learn more about us uh, and find an abundance of free resources at our website, which is jbddivorcesupport.com, standing for Journey Beyond Divorce, jbddivorcesupport.com. We, we also have uh, an active uh, Facebook journey beyond divorce community so you can just go on facebook look up journey beyond divorce community and ask to join and you'll receive a lot of support and encouragement from our team of coaches as well as other members if you hang out on youtube instagram or twitter we're there too sharing a ton of information uh, and advice to encourage you so tune back in in two weeks and thanks for listening At Journey Beyond Divorce, we know that sometimes the most powerful support we can offer is to help you process the storm of emotions you're experiencing and gently challenge the beliefs that are keeping you stuck.
1: The way Karen delivers her program is that she validates the feelings,
0: the emotions, the ups, the downs. She hones in on the specifics that really talk to that particular person when they're going through this crazy emotional time let us be a beacon in the midst of this crazy emotional time book a free lifeline call with us to help lift the fog and begin practicing new ways of thinking being and doing that better support you as you journey through and beyond divorce our gift to you is taking that first step with you On your free Rapid Relief Lifeline call, where we help you navigate the emotional and logistical turbulence of separation and divorce. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call.